All right, so if you are enjoying this series, I would encourage you to pick up a copy of this little book, The Money Challenge. Really good, simple resources. There's lots of, there's lots of financial resources that have been written for Christians. I like, this is one of my favorites because it's just short and sweet, and it's based on these three simple principles. And these three biblical principles are right there. Uh, on the review. So tonight, obviously, is principle number two, but let's just review these. You see on the front of your handout, review the money challenge principles. There's three principles. Let's say them together. Ready, begin. Number one is give generously, save wisely. We, get, we can try. Let's try this again. Ready? T- together, begin. Here we go. Give generously, save wisely, live appropriately. Just real simple, simple um, and straightforward approach. So let's look at this. The second principle is to save wisely. Now, before I even read the text, we're going to look, we're going to look at Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Let's have a quick discussion. If you'll notice, the order, the sequence of these principles, it starts with giving, goes to saving, and then living appropriately. Why do we start with giving instead of saving? And in fact, I've heard there are some, I've even seen some financial people that start with the saving and the getting out of debt, and then they go to the giving. Sometimes even Mr. Dave Ramsey does that. Um, but this, this, I think, is a more biblical principle. It starts with giving and then saving. Some people might say, well, you know, you, you shouldn't give until you're out of debt or anything like that. But why do we say it's biblical and then just think about it a little bit? Why do we start with there's a couple of obvious ones, and that's okay. But why do we start with giving instead of starting with one of the other principles? Yes, you you put God first. That's that right there. Why else? The the first fruits principle. That's right. God taught that we give the first part to Him. It's a principle right back from the Old Testament. Yes. Um, because if you give generously, then, like, uh, I think you said that person tied their way out of debt because they were able to, like, give X amount and then they, uh, smartly allocated their funds otherwise. Sure. Absolutely. What, why else do we start with the, the, yes, sir? Uh, you're setting a principle. Yeah. I agree. Why else? One of the verses I forget which one it was that we read last week says something about honoring the Lord. And I feel like that this would be a way to honor Him with all He's given us abundantly to show, you know, to, to be like God, you know, right. to be more like Him and give, give generously to like people. Absolutely. So that's that principle of honoring God. It's actually, I think it's tied to the verse that, that uh, Bill was quoting. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So, yeah, absolutely. I think there's also the faith element here, right? There's faith that if we'll just obey what God said, then he will bless us. So by stepping out with giving, it's the opportunity to then see God multiply. It's, it's been said, my dad probably said this last week when he taught, taught the last lesson, but the the um when people start with like for instance a tithe when they start with a tithe you'll find you'll god will do more with that 90 percent than he than what you would have done 
with a full 100%. Um, and we looked at that story in our adult Sunday school class of the, of the woman in the oil. Remember, she, by faith, she, she, all the, the boys grab the pots and then they start pouring it all out. God does something when we're yielded and completely surrendered to him. So I think that's it. There's simple obedience. And by the way, if God didn't promise us anything, we should just do it out of simple obedience. That's, that's kind of lost on this generation sometimes. That we, there doesn't have to be something in it for us always, but God is gracious enough that he has put something in it for us. Ma yes, Terry. I think that generosity is a generous word. Yeah. You know, because you can just give and then just, you don't mean anything. Right. But if you give generous, there's a meaning behind it. Right. And I don't know if this came up last week, but I think it, it does, it extends beyond, you know, we can, obviously in a local church, we're thinking of the tithe principle, but really just that spirit of generosity in your life, like to meet the needs of others, to be a help uh, as, as God leads, that spirit of generosity. There is, it's cast your bread upon the waters, you know, that, that scripture. Also, there is that, uh, that scatters, yet is increased. So God has built those principles. And he said to the nation of Israel, now they were obligated to tithe by law, right? And so in Malachi, they had, they're under this, this legal obligation to tithe. And he says, you've robbed me. You've robbed me. But then he says, prove me. If you'll get back to doing what you're supposed to do, he says, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you won't be able to receive. So that's why we start with giving generously. I love the, um, the, the Dave Ramsey books and all of his good material. I, I encourage you to read it. But he doesn't always emphasize that part first. And I think that's a shortcoming in some of that material. Um, okay, so tonight, though, we move on from the giving. And we talk about the saving. We talk about saving. So look at Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8. This is our, really our theme verse to get started tonight. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. That's kind of an abrupt introduction, right? Hey, you, la you lazy bum. Why don't you, that's like literally what he's saying here. Why don't you take a look at what? At what? At who? Yeah, take a look at an ant. And you're like, what, is he talking about the bug? That's exactly what he's talking about. How many of you had an ant farm when you were a kid? I think, I don't know if that's still a thing, but did anybody have, have that? You know what I'm talking about at least? <laughs> okay. The first house that we bought, a lady that lived in before us, she put honey out to attract the ants. She was a little old and senile. <laughs> a little senile. It was quite a problem in the house. She had pet ants. <laughs> Wow. It's quite... That was the first house you owned? She had an ant farm that wasn't... That's the yellow house? The house I was born into? I didn't know. Hopefully you got it cleaned out before I came along. So, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, the ant, he says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Which, having no guide overseer or ruler provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. Now, if you open up to the inside of the notes, and hopefully you take a few notes tonight, 
Let me ask you this. This is our second kind of discussion question this evening. Why don't, what are some reasons that people don't save? What are some reasons? And before we do that, there was a study, and this book references it. There was a study done in 2015 that said the majority, of, and I don't know how great of a majority, but the majority of Americans did not have enough savings to account for or to cover an unexpected $400 expense. Now, that seemed, now, they might have a credit card account that would cover it, right? But as far as cash on hand, they did, did not have that. So we do live in a generation where savings is, um, is not what it used to be for what some of you probably grew up with, your parents and grandparents, especially if your parents or your grandparents were Depression-era folks. Um, boy, that was a whole nother. How many of you grew up, you had Depression-era grandparents, aunts and uncles, and you, know, you grew up with that, yeah. So um, anyway, why don't people save? What are some reasons? Let's just think through this. What are some reasons people don't save? Some people are materialistic. Okay. Some people are materialistic. Okay. Yeah. Time. I feel that there's always time. Okay. Yeah. I've got time to do it later. Somebody else. Why do people not? What are some reasons people don't save? Okay. These kind of tie in. There were these were three things that were pointed out. Number one actually goes a lot with what. What my dad said, we do, there are a lot of people, they live in instant gratification, right? So instant gratification manifests, manifests itself in all kinds of levels. Everything from I need a new boat to I need a new pair of shoes toward I need to go out to eat, right? It's at all different socioeconomic levels. People need have this need for instant gratification. Any other... Well, I, I think we understand that, okay? But it's not just that. It's also experiences. You know, like people feel that they need to have the ex every experience. Um, anyway, we'll get, we could go off on a rabbit trail on that. There's a second reason, though. Let me give you a second one. This actually kind of goes in with what Terry said. They underestimate how much they're going to need in the future and how much time they have to save the money. They underestimate how much they're going to need and then how long it takes to save money. So, Terry, I think you said they think, oh, I have time to save later, right? But fail to consider that there will be substantial needs and it will take a long time to save the money. So things like, things like um, even just a simple thing like owning a home, right? People will purchase their first home. And I remember the first time I bought a home and... Or maybe, yeah, I was dealing with the financing with the bank. I was in my early 20s. And the vice president of the bank said to me, well, you need to be careful about your house payment because you don't want to be house poor. How many of you have heard that term before? And that was the first time that I had heard that, but it instantly clicked with me. He said, because you know what's going to happen. You're going to buy this house, and you're going to have some expenses that first year. And... That's the principle here is that even something like that, there are going to be unexpected costs and people just don't, they think, well, I don't have anything that I have to spend my money on now, so I won't plan for the future. So there's that underestimating of that. The third reason, the third reason 
And this actually goes with what Carl was saying. Carl, I think you said they don't feel that they have enough, right? So the, the statement in the book was they have no financial margin. What do we mean by margin? What do we mean by margin? Kind of. Boundary. What? Um, the difference between what you spend and how much you make. Right. Exactly. The difference between what you spend and what you make. In other words, they, it's just I, I make, you know, $700 and I spend $700. There's no margin built into their lifestyle. Now, let me ask this question. This is worth a little bit of considering. What are a couple of reasons that people don't have enough margin in their lifestyle, in their life to save? Yes? They live above their means. They live above their means, okay? Absolutely. What's another reason? They weren't taught. They weren't taught, okay. Give me another reason that people don't have that margin. Okay, there you go. Sometimes people simply don't, they truly don't make enough money. And I think that's an important discussion whenever we talk about finances. Like, we, we need to help young people, and we even ourselves need to take this responsibility. Sometimes people truly don't save because they literally don't make enough money. So what's the solution? <laughs> oh my goodness. What, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the solution is actually pretty simple. And, and, and this is the solution. You, Mrs. Bailey, you said it. What is that? Make more money. Make more money. I have a good friend, and he, um, he reminded me once. We had a good conversation about this. And he talked about people that complain about their status in life or what they have or what they don't have. And often they'll compare themselves to people in the Bible, you know, that struggled or whatever. And he said, we live in the United States of America. There are lots of opportunities for people to make more money. Right? So whatever, wherever we find ourselves in life, there's this personal responsibility thing. If we're not happy, in, the, in part of our culture, the first thing people want to do is they want to say, well, you know, we need to raise the minimum wage. I won't get into all the economics of that, okay? Simply put, the point is this. Who is responsible for how much income I have? Me. I am. I am 100% responsible for how much income that I have. Now, I may need to educate myself more. I may need to take a course. I may need to invest in myself. I may need to learn some new skills, right? I, however, one of the reasons that people don't have that margin, and they say, sometimes when people say, I just can't afford to save any money, sometimes they're telling the truth. There's just not enough margin. So we have to, as Christians, God has given us abilities, talents, gifts, and he says this, you know, we need to be industrious. We need to find ways to increase our earning potential. So there you go. So let's talk about this really quickly. If you look at what the first point here is, learn the wisdom, learn the wisdom of the ant. 
Learn the wisdom of the ant. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, which, having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. First principle of the ant is the ant is self-disciplined, right? Now, not because the ant is of upstanding character and has a strong moral compass. It is simply instinctive for the ant, right? However, you and I are free moral agents. That comes with a blessing, but also the responsibility that we have to choose to have the self-discipline of the, of the ant. What keeps us from being self-disciplined sometimes? Motivation, yeah? Anything else? What? Mad oh, advertising? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. But what are, like, huh? It says, that, it says in the passage, sluggardness, right? You're being, being la laziness. Yeah, it's sinfulness. Like, let me give you an example. For a, mi a minute ago, we said make more money. How many, people, how many people do you know that complain about their status in life and do absolutely nothing to change it? Why? Because it's hard work. It's hard, it, it can be hard work. You, you look like you had a comment on that, Carl, first. that's robbing people of their dignity Absolutely. and their God-given ability. So that's a, a very good observation. Yes, Mike. Um, so sometimes do you think that like, they start too big in some places? Like, like Jordan Peterson gives examples of like, clean your room. Right. And then he, he gave an example of a like, client that actually couldn't clean the room. And so he had him start with half of a sock. Half of a sock drawer. Yeah. Clean half of your sock drawer before you clean your whole room. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, why do you think people like Jordan Peterson, I don't know how many of you are familiar with him, but super popular, especially among young men. Why do you think people like Jordan Peterson are popular? Today. Because um, they, people like him, like... Well, let, let me just give you a quick one so we don't go too far on this. Because our, because our society is not teaching people these basic yeah. things along So there's a void. There's a void that's there. Yeah. Okay. So the, there's this idea of self-discipline. And sometimes you need self-discipline. So let's talk about it not in the negative, but in the positive. What can self-discipline do? So for instance, self-discipline. And now, of course, we, we also need to, this is super practical, right? But I don't want to discount the spiritual part of this. Like, Undergirding all of this, you're a Christian, 
we're believers, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. So please don't misunderstand this to be like entirely a legalistic, I will pull myself up by my own bootstraps. We need the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just putting that as the kind of the understood background behind this. But then how it manifests itself, practically speaking, self-discipline can make a person at, like, my goodness, how old was the colonel when he fried his first piece of chicken? Wasn't he like, how old was he? Who knows? He was up in his 60s, right? And he, he just was determined. He decided he was going to do it. You look at people like, like Thomas Edison. <laughs> you look at people who just, they have the self-discipline, the determination that they are going to do something. But we have a, like a wide diversity of age groups in here. It's never too late to make an investment in yourself and see what God can do. Brother Thornton and I were talking during the missions conference about, you know, he's 65, I'm 65. We talked about retirement, but maybe still working, as, you know, a second job, as a lot of people do. When I was growing up, if you were 55 and older, nobody wanted to hire you. Today, they'll, they'll say, where do you want to sign up? Where yep. do you put your work? Because the younger generation is not disciplined. They, they don't show up to work on time, they leave early, they have their phones out all of the time. So, if you're kind of getting up there in years, feel good about that. They will, they hire hire you in a heartbeat. What are you going to say? Um, to your point, uh, I'm actually when I work, there's a lot of like people who are much older than me, and they work just as hard or even harder than people at my age. Yeah, because they have a work ethic. Now their parents grew up, or the children of parents who came out of the Depression. But my parents' generation had really nothing, and they made a life for themselves, and they passed those traits on to their kids. It, it amazes me that today parents don't give their kids chores to do. I mean, uh, I said this to somebody, my wife's not here, so I'm going to brag on a little bit. I said this to somebody the other day. My house, my wife is a very good housekeeper. It looks the same now as it did when we had eight kids living at home. There was no difference. But she didn't do all the work. All the kids had, all my kids had chores. We had a calendar up on the wall. Up, I remember. We did, um, I, we did, we, when I was a kid, we vacuumed the entire downstairs of our house every single night every night the whole downstairs got vacuumed every day every day my mother did laundry every night we put our laundry away and you know in the summer we stacked the firewood and uh, the only thing we didn't do was cut the grass because my dad is a little ocd about the lawn so he wouldn't let us touch the grass but um, you know no but we worked and we worked we worked hard, and when we weren't stacking our firewood, we were stacking the Bailey's firewood, or they were stacking our firewood, and um, you know, that's. So I try to instill that in my kids. I mean, from the time they're really little, they they work, they work hard because that teaches that self-discipline because it's going to produce um, results in life. It's going to lead to financial benefit. There's no doubt about it. I mean, and not just our family, like. I, uh, I remember um, 
watching uh, um, James and Jimmy when he was like 13 years old carrying uh, wheelbarrows back at the, one of the work parties at the church. I'm like, that kid will get hired to do anything, anywhere someday because he just was just a worker, hard worker. He's got a job lined up when he graduates, right? Great job. All, all good to go. Because well, that's been here on the church property here for quite a few years. Yes. Yeah. summer on the time. He's a a yeah, he's good about, like, I, like, I don't, I wouldn't, yeah, anyway, he's good about the law. Very good. So that's self-discipline. But, but then it's got to extend, you know. So, so we need to help, but we need to lead in that. And it doesn't mean that, and, and we need the same thing. So, but I've got, I've just got this thing where we've got to take our own financial position We've got to take responsibility for it and not look at, well, my parents or my influencers or these people taught me wrong. Every single person is responsible for their own decision and who they choose to listen to. So don't sell yourself short, but also don't use excuses. All right. The ant also is not only self-discipline, but the ant understands abundance and scarcity. Abundance and scarcity. Did you notice it says that she gathers her, her harvest is when? It's in the summer. Because when is she going to need it? In the winter. It's, it's like the, um, it's like Joseph in Egypt. The famine is coming. There's going to be seven really great years. But what are we going to do for those seven great years? Well, a lot of people would be like, let's party, <laughs> right? But he's like, no, we're going to store it up. So this idea, we're seeing this, actually, we're living this right now. It's about to get a little bit scarce. It's starting. It's starting to get scarce. So if you still got opportunity, it's time to squirrel some money away. It's time to be ready because the next, we're probably going into a recession. How, just part of the nature of things. Economies go up, economies go down. The, all these things, right? Yes. There, there I would ask the question, it's not the savings money that you're saving. How should your savings be if you're saving? Of course, first you shouldn't lay off your churches in heaven. Money is going to be inflated. It's the money you saved 10 years ago is worth a lot less today. Should it be saved in money or should you be saved by extra food or what? Which yeah. Is the best way, wisest way to store up for the is it store up food or store up money? <laughs> I I think you bring up a really good point. We should have diversified savings, right? So because of the scarcity, you're very right. It, we're we're living in very volatile political times, and so there is wisdom in investing in some gold. If you've got a little bit extra, have some gold. It's always been valuable. There are a lot of people that are, they, they, st they store food, right? They have dried food. And I'm not, I think you can go into extremes in any of these things, but I would not be one to ridicule anyone who would do that because you say, oh, what are the chances of something like that? They're probably not that high, but it has happened before in the course of the world. So there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Other th things that you can invest in are obviously mutual funds at work, you know, through retirement, you see increase there. But there's also things like, like real estate. These are good things. Like a lot of people don't realize, like Mike, you're in a perfect position. How old are you? 21. Do you own a home? Yeah. 
Do you know what one of the smartest things you could do when you buy your very first house? Smartest thing you could do when you buy your first house is do not buy a single family home. He's writing it down. Smart guy, look at that. He's writing it down. Buy yourself a two or three family home because most people in America eventually buy a house. Buy yourself a two or three family home. You can still get the very best interest rates often as a first time home buyer if you live in it for a couple years. Then, those two people that rent from you, guess what they're paying? Your mortgage. They're paying your mortgage. And then in five years, guess what? You find somebody to rent your apartment, you go buy another three family, or you go buy another house, you do whatever. This is, this is things that we need to be teaching the next generation. That, like if I had to do it all over again, my very first house, I would have done that. But I never really was taught to think that way. Not an excuse, I could have learned it. But I'm just saying, when you learn those things, now we can act on it. Years ago, years ago, me and Ken got in an endeavor together. And uh, I was like, I was thinking, oh, maybe I should, I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't make a lot of money. But um, I was like, wow, you can buy a house in North Adams right now for the same price that most people buy a car for. And so we bought, I bought a house at the, at the price that most people buy their car for. So it's like, like I, didn't have to be, I didn't have to be wealthy to do this. Like I could just do it with the, a regular income. Regular income, I could do that. And me and Ken worked on it together and then he bought it from me. I made a little, you know, right? I mean, and you can, you can do things like that if you are, you, you understand there's different ways to save, there's different ways to do things. So I just think that, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of passionate about this because I feel like in church life a lot of times, the conversation is always, it's always like, okay, you know, you need to save here, you need to stop going out to eat, you need to stop doing this. Sometimes it just needs to be, hey, God has given us wisdom and understanding, we just need to be more industrious sometimes. And there's lots of opportunities. Um, anyway, and that's just one because that's my experience, but there's somebody else could talk about something totally different that, they, that they've done. Um, okay, so understand abundance and scarcity. We bet the ant does. You better save now. All right, uh, the next one. We're kind of like going all over the place here. The next main point, set savings goals, okay? Set savings goals. What are you going to do what do you need to save for? There's one I added on here that is not in the notes. And I have started practicing this maybe 10 years ago. And that was, I have a savings account for giving. Like I just take a little bit and I put it into a savings account for giving. Because I know that eventually somebody's going to have a need. Or there's going to be a special offering or a special project at the church that I'm going to want to give to. So why don't I just have a savings account for that. So that's something I've, I've started doing. I learned that from somebody. I didn't, it wasn't just like a stroke of genius. I learned that from somebody. The other thing, um, so, so I would say, hey, that's a great place to start. We save for everything else. Why not save for future needs that, of other people? Now, then the next thing is a, the first savings goal. You say, all right, Ethan, this is all, this all sounds really good, but if you were to look at my finances, you would see a mess, okay? Don't raise your hand, but inside, I'm sure somebody's feeling that way. So where do you start? Where do you start? 
You start, number one, and this goes to the Dave Ramsey baby steps. Dave Ramsey has helped tons of people get their financial life in order. Step number one, get yourself an emergency fund. The emergency fund is at least $1,000 to $1,500. $1,000 to $1,500 is your very first emergency fund. Okay? So you say, all right, well, that might take you a long time, depending on how much income you make, or it might take you a shorter amount of time. Say, maybe it takes you 12 months. Maybe you can put aside $100 a month, 25 bucks a week. You can say, I'm going to get this emergency fund. And so, it, so you say, well, well, what is that? I'll have 1000 bucks. Well, a year from now, you'll be $1,000 ahead of where you were today. You'll have the sock drawer cleaned. Right, Mike? OK. Um, secondly, on the right-hand page. So the next thing is once you get that, once you get that, um, then you should also save for short-term security. So the next goal would be to have three to six months of living expenses. What are the bare necessities to make sure they don't come and take your house, they don't take your car, and you can put food on the table? I mean, just basic bare necessities. Do you know how much money you need every month? Take that, take three to six months, and say, boom, I've got it. Could be, depending on your lifestyle, could be ten to $20,000. And you just say, this is, so if I lost my job, because how many of you know, if you lose your job, you know, you say, well, there's unemployment, but it's not going to cover everything. What does it give you, 60% of what you make, something like that, with unemployment? Maybe that would cover it. Maybe it wouldn't. So short-term security is three to six months of expenses. Then there's finally long-term investing. Now that would be the blank would be retirement planning. Retirement planning. The scripture says a lot about this. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds, for riches are not forever. Doth the crown endure to every generation? In other words, he's saying. Sometimes a generation loses all the money. Be planning for future generations. House and riches are the inheritance of fathers. And a prudent wife is from the Lord. That one's just kind of extra in there. Um, there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. And then Proverbs 13 and verse 22, speaking of generational wealth, a good man leaveth an inheritance for his grandchildren. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So it's God's desire to bless the wise, the righteous, so that they can, that they can um, bless future generations. So long-term investment is retirement planning. People approach this different ways. The simplest thing to do is to invest. And in, if you have an employer that has a 401k, you just do the match. And you've probably seen the videos of compound interest. If you take $200 a month and you start when you're 22 years old, by the time you're retirement age, you'll have a couple of million dollars. But if you wait just 10 years, so again, for those, this is for you, Mike. The rest of us are kind of beyond that age of our lives. So... We all got to think of, uh, you know, if you don't have that one, figure out something else. But if you can start at that age, 
you've got, but boy, five years, 10 years off of that compound interest makes a huge difference. So you just put that little bit away, doesn't take much. Um, but there are other ways to, to fast track this. Um, if you have, for instance, you say, well, I didn't save enough. What can I do? How can I make some money? Things like real estate are one of the fastest ways you can do it because you can, you can invest, you can take often the equity in your home and you can use, leverage that to build a real estate portfolio. You can make money way faster doing that than you can in the stock market. And it's relatively secure. So don't just think that the 401k game is the only way. There are other ways to multiply your wealth. I have a good friend. He, for the last year, has flipped automobiles. Like, just, he was smart. You say, wow, he must be a mechanic. Nope, <laughs> he's not a mechanic at all. He's got a friend who has mechanical skills. And he went on Facebook and he's buying these, these eh, questionable cars and then they fix them all up and he sells them. Do you know how much money he's made this year flipping used cars and selling them on Facebook Marketplace? $30,000. He's made $30,000 just this year. He just buying used cars, giving them to somebody else, that guy flips them, then they, they sell them. Anyway, what, what special skills do you have to do that? You don't necessarily. Now, you gotta know your limitations. You might be a, you might not have, you might not be good at that. You might buy lemons and you know, get, get in trouble. So I'm not, so you, you know, it can be a mistake to just be like, oh, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that. You know, you, you, you gotta get a little bit more thought about it. My point tonight is just to kind of spark the, you know, Get the, get the wheels moving a little bit, that there's more opportunities than, are, than, than you may think. I have a relative who started a, um, a, a very unique cosmetology service. Very unique service, not regular. I won't get into all the specifics, but they have a very, very unique cosmetology offering that they do out of their home. Same thing, made over $30,000 working very part-time doing this procedure for people. Now you all want to know what it is. Not telling you. All right, moving right along. Um, so so any, anyhow, that's, uh, but Christian people, we should, we should lead the way with some of these things. All right, uh, discussion, retirement versus college fund. I'll let uh, those of you that have kids or you're thinking about that, um, retirement trumps college fund every single time. Every single time. It's better to be able to care for yourself long term to not be a burden to the next generation, and they can pay for their own college. There's so many ways, there's so many affordable options for college now. If you can afford it, great. And if you didn't pay for your kid's college, don't let anybody guilt trip you about that. You know, if you can, great. Yes, sir? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And for instance, um, it's not a secret. The company I work for, we hire plumbers and you can go look for our ads. We advertise plumbers to make $100,000 a year being a plumber. Certain colleges, there's a movement now in colleges to offer uh, trade instead of going for a college degree. When I was growing up, there were a lot of um, 
at McCann. McCann is a technical school. Technical school. Yeah. There's a lot of technical schools. I don't know how many of those are left. The colleges. Yeah, I mean, like here, like there's obviously McCann and then Smith down in Northampton is a pretty big one. But there's a there's a lack of people going into the going into the trades. It's a serious, serious lack. And it doesn't matter how technologically advanced we get, somebody's got to actually put the pipes in the house and then service them when they get in trouble. And it's not that easy to do. So whether it's electrical plumbers, you know, we're not, there's certain things that are just not going to be taken over by machines. Mindless factory jobs that are, I shouldn't say mindless, but you know what I mean, rote factory jobs, those are going to be replaced. But skilled labor, definitely not. Yes, sir. Uh, my friend from high school, we went to technical high school, uh, HVAC, he's making $50, uh, $50 an hour. $50 an hour installing HVAC. He's 20 years old. 20 years old, 50 bucks an hour. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. So there's a six-figure income doing, and, uh, and he, got, he, he didn't pay anything for that education. Free education from high school. So, yeah, great example. So, anyhow, I, I know this is talking about saving, but I do really believe that, yes, you got to get your spending in line. You can't be out of control spending. We're going to talk about that when we get to living appropriately. But I do think a lot of the reason people aren't saving is, like, especially in our community, right? We live in a, in a relatively lower income community, statistically. Massachusetts is one of the wealthiest states in the country per capita, but we're in one of the most economically depressed regions of Massachusetts. And there are a lot of opportunities, though, even here. It's just we've got to be more creative than to say, oh, well, go to college, get a degree, and get a good job. It doesn't always work that way. But there's opportunities for all of us. And if we could find ways to earn a little bit more, that's how we give. That's how we save. That's how we, we can build a life and honor God with it make a difference. Now, I'm out of time. On the back of your handout... I do always recommend Mr. Dave Ramsey. Again, he's helped a lot of people change their lives. Okay? So these are his baby steps. His baby steps one through seven. You can find lots more resources at DaveRamsey.com. I remember I, I could I know somebody personally that went through this money challenge course with us and then they got on the Dave Ramsey bandwagon. And it has changed their economic situation dramatically. Uh, and they made that decision. So this is just a four or five week you know, discussion topic we're going to do. But again, it might take some discipline for each of us to say, well, what am I going to do to change my economic situation? God, how can you lead me? How can you guide me? And what is your will? And then I would also say um, a good little piece of advice is network with good people. Like, ask people. One of the worst things you can do is just try something without any input. Like, like, oh, Ethan gave me this idea on Wednesday night. I'm just going to do this. Talk to somebody who's done it before, right? Like, and it's amazing. I've just watched God open doors in my life. Like, the first time I, was, I ever, I told you that story about I bought that house, I accidentally met a realtor when I bought that house. And I was really scared about doing it. And he looked at me, and he's like, oh, he had never met me before. He looked at me, and he's like, oh, this is the first one. You'll be back for more. And I just kind of like laughed, but then I stayed in touch with that guy. 
And he has given me tons and tons of free advice over the last five years. And he's a friend. I can pick up the phone and call him anytime, ask him what he thinks about something. So, and, and having people like that in your life, before you make a decision, another principle in Proverbs is in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. But how many of you have a family member, you tell them what you're thinking, and what are they going to say to you? Ah, why are you going to do that? What are you thinking? You'll lose your shirt. Get those people out of your, you know, don't get them out of your life, but get them out of your headspace. Just, they just hold you back. Find somebody who's done it and get their help. Yeah, uh, yeah Seth, then Mike. Talk to football. What? Those people talking about yeah. football. <laughs> yes, those, those are your football conversations, not your financial conversations. Yeah. My brother wants to be an uh, NBA star. Yep. And I asked him, if you get injured or something like that, what's your plan B? He said, I don't need a plan B, I would just do plan A. Yeah, not wise, not wise. So, all right, interesting conversation. Good stuff. That's, that's a wrap. We'll close it up. Unless anybody's got anything else they want to mention. All right, very good. All right, let's have a word of prayer, and then we will talk about our prayer list tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you, and we thank you that you've built so much wisdom, not just in your word, but in this world around us, Lord, and the natural laws that you've given, and Lord, you've, and, and we do thank you for all of its faults, Lord. We're so thankful that we live in such a free society, and that we have the opportunities that we still have. So, Lord, help us uh, to be wise stewards, Lord. It's a stewardship to live in America and to have this kind of opportunity. So, help us to to honor you with the gifts that you've given us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.